Welcome to Question Time, or should I say Question Time? It's the big debate. I'm Emily Maitlis, uh, sorry, Breege Lawrence, and joining us in the garden studio tonight is a panel of experts here to solve once and for all, or maybe not at all, the issue of jocks versus purists. Is the jockification of surfing a thing? And if so, is it a good thing? Stay tuned as we put the issue to the test. as usual and each is joined by a teammate. In the jock corner with Tom it's the Panath pro surfer and Instagram influencer Logan Nickel. Meanwhile in the purist corner with Rob it's two-time European longboard champion and regular crest contributor Elliot Dudley who is so invested in this issue that he has agreed to join us by satellite link from the flight deck of the ISS where he is currently an intern. And there will also be a guest appearance from British pro surfer Luke Dillon. The gloves are off, the debate is on. It's episode 16 of Crest. So each team will kick things off by having a chance to introduce its guest surfer. Once that's done, we'll argue over three key questions. Each of the three rounds is there to be won by a team. Hang on, this is uh, it's got to be rigged. I'm calling a conflict of interest here. Uh, no, not one jot, Rob. Let me explain. Now, you'll remember in the Surf Nightmares episode, we had the Bob scale, you know, when, which your dad used to give you like 0.1 on every wave in a surf contest compared to generally, uh, generously allowing the rest of us like a 0.5. Well, I have to say that the breed scale is nothing short of weighted in the same manner. Good. I'll have to annihilate you guys to stand a chance. And when you look at what I've brought as support... <laughs> I mean, I think you can't complain. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. The last thing we want is the, uh, the results called into question, Emily. Um, Breach, can you be sure you'll be impartial? Well, Rob, to you and Elliot, yes. But Logan has dropped in on me before, as has Tom for that matter. Oh, come on. So that's going to be another issue. Anyway, let's get started. On that note, Tom, who and what is Logan Nickel and why have you brought him onto Crest as part of your team? Uh, good question. Well, Logan Nickel, he's one of my favourite surfers, and I call Logan Nickel correctly. The uh, he's Wales's number one because Logan came second in the last Welsh that was held, um, second to Jay Quinn. <laughs> Jay Quinn though is is the Welsh number one, or well, no, so it's the other way round, really, isn't it? Jay Quinn is Wales's number one <laughs> because you know he, he's from New Zealand originally, not homegrown. Logan is homegrown. Logan is the Welsh number one. He's the, he's the top Welsh brawn and bread placed surfer in the last Welsh and uh, you know he's a, he's an absolute ripper he's totally dedicated to the sport he's got a really snazzy haircut he's very <laughs> good looking he's got a set of abs on him he's jocked through and through his Instagram account is a gorgeous thing a thing of beauty a thing of beauty is a joy forever as John Keats once said um, and uh, you know as far as the marketing and self-promotional side Logan's about as millennial as they come so I feel kind of down with the kids by inviting Logan <laughs> Nickel onto the show, also known as Logan Instagram. So I'm going to just start off by asking Logan a few questions about that just to get him introduced. 
Logan Instagram, is that a moniker you're proud of? Uh, I didn't know I had it, so uh, I'll take <laughs> it though. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you're good at it. You know, you, you, you've totally embraced the kind of modern side of, of being a successful sponsored <clears throat> surfer in terms of like getting, the, getting with it with the promo. Um, yeah, I think um, where I live sort of played, meant I really had to do that um, to like sort of break into, I guess, the South Wales surfing scene. Yeah. Whether I've <laughs> made a good good break into that. Yeah, so I suppose you're right up the channel, aren't you? You're, you're basically yeah. based in Penarth. There's no waves where I live, but um, but yeah, and just to get me anywhere, I sort of had to do more than everyone else, so I, and that was one way for me to do it. And then speaking about doing more than everyone else as well, you train hard and properly, don't you? You know, you you you're committed to. I like to think so. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do train. So what sort of things hard. do you do for training? Um, so I've just. Actually, just at the start of lockdown, luckily for timing-wise, um, been supported by a p personal trainer up in Swansea, Kinetic Ability, and they've given me like an amazing plan. So I wasn't too bored at my house doing nothing. So I've been training really hard, just following that plan, running. Just I love being active. So and how often and how much do you surf? Every day. I, yeah, I literally surf every day. There's waves. Yeah, it's not. It's not yeah. Find the motivation day. to go when it's rubbish. <clears throat> Yeah, oh, I love it. I, I just love surfing. If yeah. I get to the beach, I've driven so far, I've got to go in. So yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I'm going to sort of spring it on him a bit later. So sh hope, hopefully his ISS <laughs> link is temporarily broken. But <laughs> when Elliot Dudley was in his absolute competitive heyday, he was like literally the worst days he'd be in the water, like, you know, every single day. It's a really important part of being a top surfer, isn't it? Yeah, I actually, and I, you're going to probably like this. I remember reading one of your books and you said you were training... Um, to try and be in the Welsh, uh, to try and be in the Welsh team, and you said that you had to surf every single day. And I remember reading that yeah. when I wasn't able to surf every day because I didn't have a car. I was like, I'm never going to be in the Welsh team. <laughs> I, can't, I can't surf every day. But you have but, been in the Welsh team. Yeah, luckily, yeah. And I've, you've been on I've some been great trips with the Welsh team, haven't you? Was it Norway? Norway, yeah. Um, Portugal. I did, did the Worlds in California, yeah. and yeah, I've been quite a few. Really lucky to go. And do you know what? Places. I don't know if you've done the maths, but if Jay stays in New Zealand. <laughs> Aren't you like potentially in line to be one of Britain's guys at the Worlds, and you could even then get an Olympic slot down the line? Yeah, I, well, I missed out on the the last Worlds by like one place. I was, didn't like dawn on me at the time how big of a deal that was, and since then it's been like eating away at me. So I'm gonna yeah really try hard to get, get in that spot. We'll see. It depends if it gets if if the contests that are planned get run or not. And then the other really important thing about being the general all-rounded modern surfer, your modelling career. <laughs> I've seen you modelling like suits like peaky blinders yeah. style stuff or like boardwalk empire with the brogues on Any, anything for a quick uh, <laughs> quick buck for me yeah right. so um yeah i've gone down that route a fair amount actually and uh it's just good it's just eat income that i can earn and surf at the same time um, yeah i'm <laughs> not proud of it but i'm not ashamed of it either so and speaking of modeling i saw some pretty good looking instagram stuff now and uh one of our proper team jock role models here now, Kanoa Igarashi. You know, he was pretty good at hanging out in that pool in Erisera during lockdown yeah. when actually rumour had it he was elsewhere. Now, you had a couple of really good sort of, you know, stay-at-home Instagram <laughs> posts. Were they 100% honest and truthful or were you sort of, you know, looking after your uh, the other side of your of your athlete game? <laughs> they were truthful to a point and then there was, there was only so long someone in a suit could tell me I wasn't allowed to surf, so I, just, <laughs> I got in the water. Yeah. Do you know what, i got to say, my favourite bit of that whole debate was when um, Mark Vaughan, <laughs> who I'm going to give you a chance to call out in a second, yeah. stepped up and said, hey, look, anyone who sees Logan in the water, lay off. 
he's got this Welsh government dispensation <laughs> to train. And this was a real thing. Yeah, like yeah, Vorney yeah. from the WSF was stepping up and saying, on, on, on behalf of the WSF, this guy is our second place surfer for an Olympic slot. Let him surf. Yeah, so so I could go into it a bit deeper. The way I looked at it was there was no end, right? So they didn't say you're not allowed to surf for six weeks and then after six weeks you can surf. So for me, I'm like, I'm 20. Like one day feels like a year to me. So I was just like, <laughs> every day felt so long. Um, and I was Googling any way I could possibly wrangle around these rules to let me surf and that was when I came across and I just asked Mark and he was like oh yeah we'll give you the letter yeah (laughs) Um, now I'd thought always thought that Mark Vaughan was one of your favourite surfers but in his (laughs) own episode of Crest your uh, your buddy Patrick Langdon Dark the 2018 Welsh champ you guys had a bit of an Instagram sort of calling (laughs) out because Mark Vaughan said that he fancied taking you guys if the contest was held in bagpipes and I have promised you guys the chance to say something back to him. So you've got a message for your ex-favourite surfer, Mark Vaughan, about <laughs> what would happen if you had to surf against him in bagpipes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just smoke him. <laughs> <laughs> and aside to that, who's your favourite surfer? Um, like, internationally, um, a guy called Matt Banton. He's currently number right. one on the QS. He's just like... Yeah, he won know. that big uh, four or five star in Sydney, wasn't it? Yeah. Or, then, what do they call it now? It's the, the, the QS 10,000 yeah, in Sydney, yeah. Yeah, did really good there. And I don't know, it's just his style and the way he surfs. I just... I, ha- I can't remember a surf session that I haven't watched this clip in the car before I've gone in. Wow. For like the last year, so. I thought that you were going to say that you'd moved over to your second favourite surfer in the world and it was Elliot Dudley. <laughs> but apparently he must be in third place. <laughs> right, Rob, over to you. Thank you very much. That was uh, quite the <laughs> intro there, Logan. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, indeed, in my corner, in the purest corner, I've got me old mate, Mr Elliot Dudley and... For the purposes of today's podcast, I suppose Elliot's kind of the, the walking paradox. He's a two-time European champion, um, someone that's kind of tried to forge a career in professional exercise and has, well, yeah, reached the, the heights of surfing. He's kind of dedicated his much of his 20s to uh, competing at a very high level. And given that we're talking about the jockification of surfing, which I'm sure we'll define later on in today's podcast, it seems perhaps a little bit odd that he's standing in the corner with me. However, floating in the corner, floating. In the co- oh yeah, he's yeah. Well, he is in the uh, ground in the control interweb. to Major Elliot. It is something along those lines. But yeah, um, as you've said about Logan, he's uh, aside from being a fantastic surfer and somebody that has reached great heights in competitive surfing, Elliot has also turned his hand uh, to quite intense training at times for all sorts of different things. Elliot's completed three Iron Man events, I think, along with a whole host of other kind of feats of physical prowess. In addition to that, Elliot has also done a bit of modeling, just like Logan. In fact, I think it's probably fair to say they both graced the catalog of Animal at some time or another. In fact, one of my favorite um, times I saw Elliot in some kind of animal garb was um, massive blown up poster of him on the side of quite ironically high and mighty in cardiff that's the the (laughs) shop for tall men (laughs) yeah so elliot's Elliot's done it all reached the great heights in competitive (laughs) surfing in competitive exercise he's modeled um but i think one thing that's led elliot um into this purest corner is that he enjoys the fun of surfing so much i don't think i've I know anybody that quite enjoys the act of pure wave riding as much as Elliot. And 
Um, his choice of boards and the variety of boards that he uses is kind of testament to that. And as you mentioned earlier, Elliot is one of those people that will go in regardless of conditions. And I think that's perhaps kind of led him to experience or to experiment with all different kinds of surfboards, different models, different sizes of surfboards. Um, as you're, you're well aware, Elliot will use or, and surf very competently anything from a 10-foot-plus log down to the tiniest little twin fin. So uh, a good person to have in my corner, and it's a, a delight to be here with you all. One thing I did want to ask, um, of course the listeners are quite familiar with Elliot, um, so I won't go into too many questions, but I was quite curious about that question you asked Logan about his favourite surfer. And so I'd quite like to pose that question to Elliot now, if I could. Sorry to catch you off guard, Al. Who's your favourite no, surfer? No, it's a really difficult one, and uh, it changes from sort of almost day to day really um i mean that's one of the, the beauties of social media you get to kind of uh you get to watch a plethora of surfers that probably in the you know in the old-fashioned kind of asp days wouldn't have made it on tour you know but now because of instagram um they get they get to um they get to show their stuff you know on on social media um guys like mikey february you know who kind of recently discussed how uh, you know his his interest kind of just dropped away in the WQS and how he kind of ended up where he is now, surfing, you know, a range of equipment, you know, from bonzes to single fins, that kind of thing. Um, you know, as well as um, guys like Torren Martin, you know, who charge absolutely amazing waves on you know seven foot plus twin fin midlands. Um, you know those guys would would never have made it 20 years ago um and and we their, their surfing would have been um you know relegated to their local surf spot um but luckily we get to see them charge the you know charge charge some of the world, world's best waves so yeah so it, like i said it changes from day to day um if i'm talking shortboard it's it's got to be tom curran um <clears throat> you know that kind of iconic OG. backdoor photo is something I think if I could uh, if I could do that on every wave I'd be pretty stoked. That kind of drop wallet, kind of double hand layback, that's the way. Um, if you ask me on a shorter board, um, and then longboard wise, Joel Tudor's always been my icon from from when I first started surfing. Really, uh, you know, and luckily I I've got to surf with him a number of times and you know um, compete against him as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that respect that I've kind of. Uh, I've met at least one of my heroes, so yeah. So I think they're they're probably my two kind of uh, my two go tos in terms of favourite surfers. Fantastic! You got a regular foot and a goofy foot in there, and both style masters in their own way. It was um, quite uh, interesting to hear you mention Mikey February and Torin Martin. Both have quite big Instagram kind of a pre big presences on in Instagram, and you mentioned that that social media allows us to kind of see these surfers that we wouldn't perhaps see in the in the mainstream or in competition, as it were. And you've been developing quite the Instagram following yourself, aren't you? Somewhat of an influencer, just like Logan. But you've kind of, in recent days, it's fair to say that you've kind of gone down the free diving spearfishing route. Yeah, well, you know this, you know this better than most, Rob, that I've been kind of, uh, I've been planning this, this kind of free diving attack, you know, for, the, for some time. Um, you know, I kind of, I got really inspired. I was in, uh, I was in Noosa, Noosa Heads in the, the end of February, and uh, you, you can't, you can't write how like perfect for your argument all this stuff is. I know. 
Yeah, so I was in Heads with a fellow Welshman, um, son of Welsh longboarding legend uh, Chris Guts Griffiths. So I was with Connor, his son, who I've known since he was about four years old, which is, again, showing my age. But, yeah, we were hanging out, and I'd seen that he was into free diving, and we had a few a few beers one night at the Thomas Surfboards factory in Noosa and just chatting away. And, and he, his passion for free diving really kind of rubbed off on me. Um, and then when I got home, I was chatting, you know, with Rob and my cousin as well, Jack, who lives in Cornwall about it. And I was really interested mainly, uh, with the, the kind of apnea training, not so much for the, for spear fishing, but for more for confidence, really. I'd served some pretty big waves when I was in South America and I, and I always thought, you know, like the biggest fear I have is that I'm not going to be able to hold my breath for, for long enough. So um, I thought apnea training kind of ticks all the boxes there. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good thing to be able to do. But also, you know, if you go out on a 15, 20-foot day, you know at the very least you can hold your breath for three or four minutes. So that was, that was where that started. And then I got in some conversations with my cousin, um, Jack, who lives down in, uh, he lives down in St. Ives. And he's he's always been into fishing, and he's recently got into spear fishing as well. And uh, and yeah, one thing led to another, and I just kind of, uh, as I'm sure it's happened to a lot of people during lockdown, they've had a lot more time on their hands to to kind of invest in sort of new hobbies. Um, so I bought a, yeah, I bought a spear gun and some spear fishing kit, and I've I finally got to use it the last uh, the last month or so. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been real good fun actually. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yes. I, I, it's like I'm talking to Mike Doyle and Joey Cabell and all of these like yeah do you know what it's Tom, the ISS actually, thing it is you're in relativity you go back to like the 60s mate you've actually hit the nail on the head there I um, I recently read the um, the Mickey Dora um, biography now it, oh it, David you know, Renson and if we're going to have this conversation you know it has to go back to Dora because he was in his eyes he was the, the you know the antipathy of the professional surfer, you know, he, he was so anti-professionalism and he was very much against crowds and that kind of thing. But, you know, in that book, it, it kind of addresses how surfing progressed from um, the 30s and 40s. It was very much, you know, um, a really small, close-knit crew of guys that were all, you know, accomplished divers, spearfishers. They were, they were kind of working-class guys, but they were really kind of... Um, they were straight up kind of, they weren't, there wasn't, there wasn't the counterculture that, that came after that. Uh, and, and in a way you could say those guys were jocks in a certain sense because they, you know, they were, they were kind of, you know, they, they were very kind of, um, they weren't anti-establishment per se. Um, they were really strong fit guys. They were all amazing divers, amazing, um, you know, in, in really good shape. Uh, and they also had, you know, held down kind of real jobs as well. It was later on, you know, in the 60s um, that the kind of the counterculture of surfing came about. Um, but I think when we talk about the jockification of surfing, we're really talking about kind of a move towards the kind of tennis football kind of style model of, of the jock. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's where Rob and I would argue that it's gone. Something's gone awry, really. And then we've lost our identity. So whilst those guys were, um, you know, they were they were real kind of. Um, strong fit guys um they weren't what i would call you know the jocks in in the sense that we're, we're talking about in this conversation Reed, you've just you've just been reading the, mm, the mickey dora, dora book, book. yeah mm. and mm. you really recommended it didn't you yeah 
Yeah, I like the way it's all oral accounts of people who've met him, and um, it's quite a mixed picture. They don't try and paint him as the. They don't try and capture him in his entirety because he did, he tried to avoid that while he was uh, oh, famous. He kind of loved and hated his fame. So yeah, really good book. Highly recommended. Okay, great stuff. Okay, now we know who's who on the panel tonight. Next up, I want to offer each team the chance to give us some info to define what they mean by jock culture in surfing. Um, we've had some names mentioned by, by um, the purist team of some, um, some purists at the moment. Maybe you can name some jocks and purists, that's up to you. But give me a definition of what you mean by jock culture in surfing, Rob and Elliot. If I could jump in here just really quickly, Elliot. We've, this is something that we've really struggled to do over the past few episodes. And uh, speaking to my sister the other, well, the other, last week sometime, and I, I was saying to her that I can't think of a good definition. And she defined it very simply <coughs> as trying to make surfing into something it isn't, or certainly that it hasn't been. It's kind of trying to force it into a mould that other sports already sit in. So sports that are inherently competitive. So your footballs, your tennises, and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? We've had this, um, we've had this conversation before, Rob, and um, um, one of the kind of the rebels of the what was formerly known as the ASP World Tour, um, a man called Bobby Martinez. Um, <laughs> he, he, was, he was famous for calling out the tennis tour, you know, and, uh, and it's this thing of trying to, you know, surfers are becoming, in a sense, like a Roger Federer and you know a Novak Djokovic, they're becoming very um, mechanical in the way they surf, um, in the way they act. Um, you know the, the days of guys dropping off the the WQS tour because they've you know hit the class A's and the and the B is a bit too hard. You know th those days aren't really there anymore. Those days are numbered, um, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you know it's probably had it that that sort of had its downfalls. However. You know, we had great characters like, like I mentioned earlier, Tom Curran, um, and I think Matt Matt Wilkinson is probably in, in recent years is probably one of the last of the fun crew. Um, Absolutely, and, and and Rob and I talked about it earlier. You know, and the Brazilian surfers, for example, um, especially Medina. Um, you know, the gamesmanship he shows, um, as well as his kind of you know his kind of whole persona is very much. He could be a member of the Brazilian football team um, as much as he could be a, a, a surfer. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, you look at him and you think, is he a surfer? You know, he's, he's bouncing around on a trampoline and doing his, you know, his funky warm-ups and that kind of thing. And he's got his dad uh, on the beach shouting directions at him. And then, and then he'll, you know, drop in on one of his countrymen with a minute to spare just to, just to, you know, just to get a, get a win, you know, that, that isn't surfing and I think that's that's pretty much for me that's really what kind of you know uh kind of shows the the change in surfing really that kind of that old school hierarchy um that used to be there um you know the kind of you know can you imagine someone dropping in you know let's I'll use him as an example because he's recently passed away but Derek Ho you know Pipe Masters 93 can you imagine um, some young upstart dropping in on Derek Ho well, with a minute a minute to go I, for I, a, a technical victory. Are, are, are we are we are we on up yet? So look, okay. firstly, Derek Ho, absolutely respect where it's due. Rest in peace. 
And the way that I see it is that these athletes, part of their job is to do whatever they can do to win, right? And sometimes that might lead to changes in the rules, right? And Derek Ho's world title in 1993 is thoroughly deserved, right? Because Derek Ho got to the Pipe Bastards in a position where if Elkerton got knocked out in the right round, Derek Ho was going to have the chance to win the Pipe Masters to take it all down. But it caused a rule change, right? Because the Pipe Masters was a four-man contest and it went to two-man because Derek Ho got to that final by guys blocking out Elkerton in the semi and then Derek Ho won the final by Liam McNamara, Kerry Slater and Jeff Booth all letting him go on any way he wanted, right? Now, it's, he's world champion. He's legitimately world champion. He's an absolute legend and, and he will be remembered for all the right reasons and for all the great things that he did. And I don't blame Derek Ho for using that loophole at all, right? Because the rules let that loophole exist, right? And so Derek Ho was the guy that caused the rules to have to be changed. And Medina also has that wonderful accolade. Medina is the reason why when you've got priority and there's a short time in the heat left, you can't now paddle down the point as he did at Bells against B. Durbage so that B. Durbage would take off on the potential 8.5 and stick in two or three turns before Medina dropped in on him. Because if, if Medina had gone to the top of the point, B. Durbage could have taken off, gone on a straight-hander, punched through the back, got priority and then picked up the second or third wave in the set, which has been done in, in clutch circumstances. I'm thinking of uh, Laura Enver taking it from Tyler Wright in Snapper Rocks, actually the same year, same method. The rule changed. Medina may well cause the rule that he used in the Pipe Masters to defeat Kaiwa Belly to change. But I think that what he did on all of those occasions, and I think what Ho did, was what it took to win. And, and it was genius. I, I, Logan, you're right. I thought what Medina did was... <clears throat> Absolute genius. I, I saw him take off and I thought, is he mad? You know, we're talking about Medina in that, that Pipe Masters heat, which he had to win, and he drops in on Kaiwa Belly with like a minute left, and I'm thinking, you're crazy. And then all of a sudden I realise it's because Medina has worked out that his <coughs> one-and-a-half wave scores is still going to beat Belly's two-wave score and keeping him... Genius, don't you reckon, Logan? I think yeah. with him, though, it was it was the second time it had happened that season as well, hadn't it? You know, it had... It, 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 not gone his way earlier on in the year in Portugal. And, yeah. uh, I think Against that was the belly as well. It was a belly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nah, genius. Yeah, Gabriel, that was good. Well, I've got a comparison here. Song so it's within the rules, so it's fine. Uh, um, firstly, is he our guy then, Medina? Uh, yeah. And what are we going to go? We're going to Medina and yeah, Medina as our jock. And in Epitome. honor of Elliot's recent fishing exploits, we'll have sea bass. Because <laughs> so, Elliot's got Elliot was on sea bass now. No. <laughs> What's a jock? Medina. Yeah, for sure. Medina. Yeah. These guys who punch the air, bend the rules, do whatever they can. Train hard, post on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. They don't cheat, though, do they? They just rip well, within and shred. the rules. You, the so rules change. They changed to make Schumacher less good in F1, is didn't they? Your jock. Oh, Dominic Cummings. He's within the rules. It's fine. No, He's look, checking his eyes. We're man. talking Schumacher, right? F1 rules changed to make it a more level playing field because the guy was so good. Medina is Tom, so good. You've got to change the rules to try and hold him back. Do you not worry, though, Tom, that, um, you know, we talk about these other sports and the fact that once these, once these surfers become athletes, you know, and all that kind of stuff, we then start getting into this strange world where, like, you know, we, we've had drugs in, in surfing, don't get me wrong, and I think uh, Neko Padarats famously got uh, popped for... Um, doing some anabolic steroids, yeah, but you know, on the okay. whole, 
on the whole, we haven't had a, a great uh, boom in performance enhancing drugs. But the way it's going, I can see, you know, this kind of this almost Russian-esque, um, you know, <clears throat> reliance on uh, on drugs pop, you know, popping up in in surfing. If you know, if we keep going down this route of athleticism over style, um, you know, and and you know the kind of aerial game kind of really dominating that kind of thing. I think we could end up having to have quite high level kind of um, anti-doping in surfing, which is which is kind of been unheard of really, other than to, to, to kind of weed out, no pun intended, uh, recreational drugs. Um, but, you know, we, we could end up having this kind of, you know, EPO sort of anabolic steroids growth hormone kind of situation eventually if, if we're going to go down that so, route. So the argument is don't let surfing progress because people might take drugs. The wrong kind of think, drugs because it's fine for them to take yeah, the yeah, yeah, drugs yeah. that cause them to cruise. <laughs> we should go back line, to yeah. taking. Okay, I'm going to stop us here because we're straying on to the next question. So let's move on to that and then you can make your arguments a bit more. Um, so, our first question, which comes from our listener Dane Balsablank of San Onofre, California. Um, Dane asks Are surfers athletes? So, Jocks, you can have your reply. Uh, of course they are. You can't watch Felipe Toledo do an air and think that's not athleticism because it takes athleticism to be able to do those things. Um, and I, I, I'd find it hard to argue against that, really. What about you, Tom? Tudor's exact words when he was talking about, you know, the kind of the quotes that caused this argument. Surfing's not a jock sport. It's not football or whatever. We're not effing athletes. We're surfers. Um... I mean, he mentions football. He means American football. We're open-minded people here, as jocks, right? We don't we don't have to write off those sports as you know being too mainstream or whatever. The sight of a wide receiver catching the ball in midair with his toes just dangling in the white lines—that's a beautiful thing. That's athletic. <laughs> the sight of Toledo flying through the air. The sight of Mikey February trimming down the line at J Bay on a single fin in a contest jersey. It's a beautiful thing. It's all athletic. What I would say in response to that is, well, first of all, in, in my opinion, surfers probably are athletes. I would happily say that. Oh, you can see they're, they're, they're rolling over. Because <laughs> no, no, they're, they're, they're not athletes. They're, like, they're just giving it to us. is that that's not <clears throat> anything to do with the jockification of surfing. Um, and so by conceding that surfers are indeed athletes, is not giving you anything. It's not giving a, an inch. Um, I would absolutely say that uh, surfing requires a great deal of athleticism, especially uh, in big conditions or testing conditions. But in response to what you said then, Tom, about um, the sight of a wide receiver catching the ball, his toes tiptoeing down the line or whatever, that's fab. No no problem with that. I love watching sport. I love playing sport. I watched um, all five days of the test last week against the West Indies, the second test, and cricket can have some slow moments, no doubt about that. I'm a sports fan. However, surfing, I would argue, and I'm sure Elliot will join me in this, in my opinion, falls outside of that. There's, is, there's something extra to, to it. I'm not quite sure what. I'm sure we'll find it by the end of today's show. But um, Elliot, any <clears throat> retort, Tom, on that one? Yeah, do you know what? I... Um... I think, you know, you've mentioned my, my 
I guess you would call them athletic exploits. Um, and one of the reasons I kind of, uh, I've always kind of aspired to, to be kind of fitter and stronger than, uh, or as fit as strong as I, uh, as I can be, um, was almost as a, as a riposte to the jock culture. Um, you know, growing up in Wales, there was very much, uh, it was, there was, it was rugby or rugby. That was the, the choice of sports available to me when I was in school. And if you weren't a rugby boy in school, you were, you were a nobody. So, Part of my kind of desire to do other things, you know, um, you know, triathlon, that kind of thing, was to basically kind of prove my athletic worth, you know, because it's, it's very hard to do that as a surfer, you know, you kind of, you can win a surf contest, but your average person doesn't really understand what it means to win a surf contest physically, you know, the, the kind of how fit you have to be, that kind of thing. Um, so in a way, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the film, The Other Guys, it's got Will Ferrell, um, and Mark Wahlberg in it. But uh, Mark Wahlberg in that film um, basically becomes quite an accomplished ballet dancer um, just so that he can take the mick out of ballet dancers. Um, and, and, it, and, and it's obviously a comedy film, but in a way that was kind of always my my intention with my you know training for things like Ironman and that kind of thing was just kind of a bit of a like, I'm a surfer, but I'm I'm better than you so screw you kind of thing it was more of a it wasn't it was a slightly yeah, kind right. of competitive <clears throat> arrogant kind of thing but but that was that was one of the one of the justifications for me doing it really was that i was kind of i didn't feel like surfing was my was my vehicle to prove my physical um worth so i i chose a a, a more conventional sport to do it um i think what gets lost and the key thing the, the issue with guys, you know, the, this kind of Gabriel Medina kind of, um, you know, and and if I'm going to really hit the nail on the head with it, I'm going to blame one person for this. And Rob knows who probably knows who I'm going to blame. But who do you think is single-handedly responsible for the jockification of surfing and the way surfing is going? Tom, who do you think it is? Not Gwen Spurlock. Handedly, is it not the goat? And and he is my he. I, I've got. I always. He always was not my favourite surfer, but I always had respect for him, and I would have always <clears> called <throat> him the greatest surfer of all time. So yeah, it was Logan Wright then? Yeah, he was. It's Kelly Slater. So, Kelly this is where it's. This is this is the issue. Um, Kelly Slater, as as amazing as he is, his the respect that he gains is solely restricted to the surfing world right so all this has come about because kelly slater wants to be held in the same esteem as you know your mark fell uh, sorry yeah um like your michael schumacher's uh your michael phelps those kind of guys he wants to be held in the same esteem as your olympians your, your formula one legends um or you know football legends like ronaldo that kind of thing he wants to be held up in that same kind of sphere as those guys so surfing isn't respected enough in 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 the you know in the general population for that to happen so the surf ranch you know all this this creation of wave pools and surfing contests being held in wave pools we're basically making surfing into this kind of x games hybrid of you know sort of somewhere in between the mega ramp and the half pipe the snowboard half pipe and it's it's really just to make it so that it's appetizing for the general public um 
and therefore available for the Olympics. And then it's in the Olympics, and hopefully with Logan can, in it. <laughs> yeah, and and great for those guys. But to me, like, like this push for surfing to be in the Olympics. I mean, really, like, do we want to be there with the you know the kayakers and the rowers and all that kind of stuff? Like, well, I don't. Logan does, hundred <sighs> percent. That's that's where that's where that's where the divide is, you know, and I. I got no interest to be an Olympian, you know. If I was going to be an Olympian, I would do it. I would have found my sport at the age of 10 years old and had a pushy parent and, and spent, you know, 15 hours at the pool every week, you know. If that was really what I wanted, that would... But I was actually too busy down the beach having fun, um, you know, probably doing things I shouldn't have done. I haven't, you know, no schedule, drinking beers at the age of, you know, 18, obviously, <laughs> um, and, and having a good time. Oh that was basically what I was in. That was, that was what I was into. So Logan, um, you've got to but, actually stay here now until the end of this recording before you run <laughs> off to join Landaff, Row and Clow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wrapping up that first question, I think we have got a slight concession from the from the purists and they're not in total agreement with Joel Tudor that surfers, surfers are not athletes but Rob's arguing that surfing is, is surfing surfers can be athletes but that's not to do with the jockification um some nice arguments there about Kelly Slater I'm wondering about Bethany Hamilton because she's made it into that mainstream American media in a way that no one could have forecast through those personal circumstances with what's happened to her um so she's kind of done what kelly slater wanted through an unfortunate event so uh yeah moving on okay um results at the end team i can't tell you who's won that round so the next question comes from cindy cadwallader managing director of the wellbeing suites liz vane surf club and she asks does surfing have a distinct culture compared to other sports now, before you debate it, I'm forecasting that both teams may find some common ground on this. Let's try and avoid that, shall we? It doesn't make good podcasting for an episode like this. And even if you do find common ground, it's my job as Emily Maitlis to award the round to a team either way. So the question again, does surfing have a distinct culture compared to other sports? This time, it's the purist turn to go first. Um, Ellie, and I'll let you kick off with this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's very few sports that have a, a culture attached with it, um, you know, and, and most of them really are kind of uh, are in a similar kind of vein to surfing, you know, skateboarding, um, snowboarding, perhaps. Um, the only other ones are really quite kind of, uh, you know, things like uh, maybe perhaps diving, that kind of thing that, that you know, those I think extremes, I, I don't really like to call surfing an extreme sport because I don't think that for 99% of people it is an extreme sport. But those kind of, um, those sports where you actually have to kind of, um, that aren't readily available, you know, you can't do them in your cities and towns generally. Um, and you have to kind of make a real effort to do them. Um, I think those, those sports kind of have a, you know, there's kind of a, a camaraderie that you don't get in other sports. Um, it's there's a hierarchy as well, and I think I talk about this a lot, really, with the, hi the hierarchy within surfing. You know, um, when I started surfing, um, it was nearly impossible for me to get a wave. Um, I think I'd been surfing for three or four years before I got a set wave, uh, and, and and as harsh as that sounds, it was kind of 
it was a real, you know, it was a great learning curve. It taught me to kind of um, respect, you know, the guys who, who put in, you know, put, served their kind of dues and spent their time surfing a spot a lot longer than I had. Um, whereas, you know, other sports, you kind of, you pay your five pound for your tennis court and that's your tennis court for the for the hour. Um, and, and uh, you know, when you speak to Bobby Mart, you know, when you hear Bobby Martinez in that famous interview, I think that's kind of what he was what he was hinting at. You know, it's kind of this kind of um, surfing something special. You know, you got to you got to earn your stripes, and uh, and I, and I definitely think that that separates surfing. And Matt Young famously sort of said, "It's you know, surfing's not a sport; it's a lifestyle." And I think um, I think that that is as cliched as it sounds. I think uh, I think that's definitely my opinion um you know it, it isn't just a sport it's not about performance <clears throat> it's it's literally about having fun um you know and, and that lifestyle of chasing waves is, is something completely different i'd like to second everything that elliot has said there and add that yes surfing definitely um does have its own culture and when elliot was speaking there the thing i was thinking about I was thinking about football was in my mind and with the, the big difference that strikes me between surfing and all these other sports, football being the one that I'm going to compare it to, is that you go so far out of your way to go surfing. I can't imagine waking up at, I don't know, five in the morning with a football kit frozen to the grass, <laughs> putting it on to go and play football on a park. I just cannot imagine getting the motivation to do that. Yeah, I've done it to go surfing. And I'll continue to do it because surfing is so fun. In the same way that I can't imagine spending the best part of two grand to to fly to the other side of the world to play a football match. I just I have no interest in doing that. I couldn't, Whereas, I couldn't disagree more with both of you there. Uh, yeah, just totally wrong. I think that there's so many sports out there with their own distinct culture, and surfing's culture is only unique because it's surfing. You know, there's like. I was watching a there's a documentary um it's called Home Game and there's um thing from Italy on there where they've got this like football fighting game and there's a massive history there and these guys live for this game um and it's easy to like romanticize surfing to be so unique you know it's oh we do it for the love there's football fans who pay thousands to fly across the world to watch their team play to watch it not to do it Okay, if, I'm sure if they were offered to play... Well, their the game, team has would... flown there too, haven't they? Yeah, they've all... To be playing in front of these people. Yeah, but it's a, it's a professional level. I'm an amateur, and yet I will put that money on the, on the line to well, go and surf away somewhere. That's because you love it. There's people who fly thousands to go run a marathon in a, in a desert, you know? Yeah, they do. And plenty, plenty of examples. I, I, I love playing golf, and, you know, you and I have been on trips where we've bumped into people that I know from golf who are in the queue with us loading their golf clubs up. You know, we're off to the Algarve to surf, they're off to the Algarve to play golf. Golf, great example. Um, and in fact, they're having the same issue now. They're, they're moaning about the fact that Donald Trump, the antithesis of, you know, everything that's gone wrong with golf, the most, the, the golfing us, to use the Americanism, president ever, is buying up Lynx courses in Scotland. But why are golfers so obsessed with Lynx? We've got one here in Porthcawl, haven't we? You know, the Royal Porthcawl, that Lynx grass, and uh, Lynx ground, you know, is, is of the Western Isles where golf was invented by peasants back in the day. So I just think that we're 
putting surfing on too much of a pedestal here. It's great fun, and I love it, and I'm really proud of the fact that I'm a surfer, but mm -hmm. we're yeah. putting it on a pedestal. Yeah, for sure. Mm, so, um, no disagreement from the jocks there that surfing does have a distinct culture, but an argument that other sports equally have their own distinct cultures. Okay. Anyone, any further challenges on that point? Or anyone else going to say? I, I think that we're, um, or perhaps the, the jocks are painting everything into much of a black and white. There's, there's, there's not enough nuance going on here. And I think it's very hard to put into words the nuance that surfing has attached to it. Um, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no point arguing with uh, okay. people that don't get it. So what I will say about surfing's distinct culture is I like my surfing culture that I grew up on and the surfing culture that, that motivated me, you know, like it does it does irk me to see Logan with that hideous kind of like rap music, breakbeat <laughs> stuff or whatever it is on his Instagram videos and I'm like, dude, where's bad religion and propaganda and lagwagon and all that? But at the same time I know that as Gwen said Surfing's changing guys, get used to it. So, you know, I, I just got to get used to it, haven't I? Logan's the future, that's why I brought him on. <laughs> get used to rap music, boys. <laughs> okay. Right, and finally then, it's time for our ultimate question. This one has been submitted by another person, a listener, I think. It's from Mr Jay Tudor of Cardiff. He hasn't made it clear if that's Cardiff, Wales or another or the other imposter Cardiff. Either way, it seems this particular Tudor is a huge admirer of Elliot in particular. I'll pass on the rest of their fan message after we've done recording. Anyway, the question from Mr Tudor is as follows. Is the jockification of surfing a good thing or a bad thing? Now, there was some debate with producer Dodd over whether to simply let this question be the winner takes all, but we've decided to keep it weighted evenly. Of course, though, it's like the Pipe Masters or the Maui Pro. It's the tour finale, which everyone wants to win. Apart from the purists who don't do contests because, what was that Chandler says on North Shore? They bring out the worst in the human animal. Good luck, teams. It's the jocks who are to go first. Well, firstly, I, I wonder whether, is it pronounced Tidder? If he's, if he's writing from like our Cardiff, if he's writing from that... It depends which California Cardiff, Cardiff. I can't think of any Mr. Tidders who live near Cardiff by the sea. What do you reckon then, Logan? Jockification is surfing a good thing or a bad thing? Um, yeah, I think um, definitely has its you know, downsides. And I understand why people may look at it um, and not like it, not like the look of it. But it's, you know, it's a great equaliser for people from all sorts of backgrounds, they can look at your Medina or someone like that as a really good role model. Um, you know, they're clean as you like, they're training really, really hard. Um, and, and if you look at Atalo Ferrer, he's dragging himself up from a very economically modest background, yeah. isn't he, as well? You know, Formosa. It stops that elitist, you know, that culture where unless you live by the beach, that that's the only way you can surf. And it shows that hard work if you're training hard, um, you know, you, you can sort of get as far as you, you push yourself. That's what I think anyway. Um, and if you, if you don't think that, I'm uh, not sure. 
what's going on? Chalkification of surfing, right? If our definitions are coming around to sort of, we've mentioned Brazilian surfers a lot and what Brazilian surfers bring to surfing. Brazilian surfers brought a great beauty to football. And I think that Brazilian surfers are a good thing. They're a good thing for surfing. They bring performance levels to surfing. We should all be proud of it. And I think that there is a sort of a resentment of Brazilian surfers and it's it's based solely on the fact that they bring change. And if you listen even to the language used by WSL commentators to talk about Brazilian surfers, Toledo, one of the best surfers in the world, is really dangerous. He's so dangerous, as in the suggestion being, what, what, the danger of what? Of, <laughs> of the, the American wasp surfer not winning? Is that the danger? You know, the, the happy ending not happening because Toledo or D'Souza have taken the trophy home instead of Chloe Andino. And... Um, who, incidentally, is, a, is definitely a jock, isn't he, Chloe mm-hmm. Andino? But I, I think that the, the, what I would say, firstly, we've debated a bit about what jockification means, and, and of course, jockification, the word jock, it comes originally from, like, it just means a sports person, but it's been a much maligned word by the media um, over a long t- period of time to mean something quite inconsiderate. Um, but if we just think about surfing becoming a mainstream athletic sport, I'm all for it, and I think that the Brazilians pushing the lim- you know pushing the limits of how surfing is done, and causing these traditional superpowers of world surfing in America and Australia to have to realise that there may be different surf cultures out there. That's great. You look at football. There's different football cultures. You know, you see football in Africa, football in Germany, uh, football in Latin America. You know, and 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 the clashes of those cultures are what make things like the World Cup so beautiful. And I just don't see how you can say that if as a surfer you love travel and you love communing with the different international communities of the world, if you can say that, you know, there's a problem with the fact that currently the best surfers in the world tend to be Brazilian and they're, they're bringing a new perspective to surf culture. I and think, that's the um, argument that I'm going to use. I feel that you put kind of, you what, mentioned, you kind of put words um, in their mouth you mentioned in that you've, you, as Elliot's about to say now, you mentioned Italo Freire, I wouldn't consider him a jock necessarily. Gabriel Medina, absolutely, 100% is a jock. We have got nothing against Brazilian surfers per se, um, or against Gabriel Medina or anyone whatsoever, but Gabriel Medina is a jock. Personally, for me, the thing that kind of irks me about this jockification of surfing is the exact opposite of what you just said. It's disregarding the different types of wave riding that go on around the world. The, The whole thing about being a purist is that you're allowed to do whatever suits you on a wave. Whereas the, the kind of jockification of surfing is pulling everybody into a very narrow band right down the middle where you've got to do the same thing on every wave in order to get the score. There's no denying Gabriel Medina's surfing ability. He is incredible. And as Logan mentioned earlier, watching Felipe Toledo um, do an aerial is an extreme example of great athleticism. Or watching him go on rail. What I will say, however, is that I f- am... C- often bored by the the jocks that you mentioned um, and their surfing. I'd rather watch somebody that can do all the moves they can do, but I find, for instance, Dane Reynolds is a, a perfect example of someone that is the uh, antithesis of jock culture. He's the complete opposite. He can do all of these things to a really high level, but his surfing is so much more varied than these guys and it's because he's shunned the contest um, model and I love watching surfing competitions I love being in them 
However, there's, I'm also aware there's much more to surfing than that. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Elliot. No, that's fine. I was just agreeing with you. I just say the spontaneity of someone like Dane Reynolds. And, and, and this is the thing. And it, like I said, it's, I think it was actually really great that Italo Ferreira won the world title last year because, in a way, it wasn't a, it wasn't a win for Brazil. It was a win against Medina and his kind of his, what some might call underhand tactics. You might call it, you know, you'd probably call it um, gamesmanship. But, I, you know, I think, it's, I think everyone was pretty happy that Italo won um, because, you know, it recognised the, the, the superpower that Brazil is in surfing, in surfing at the moment. However, it did it in a way with a guy that was spontaneous and that isn't quite as, you know, uh, as clean cut and is, you know... What you you look at Medina and he could be he could be playing for the Brazilian football team. He looks he doesn't even look like a surfer. And I know that sounds like a real cliche, but he just looks and his behaviour doesn't become a surfer, you know? Whereas you, you see everyone when Italo won, that guy's like mates with everyone. Everyone loves him. You know, all the Californians love him, all the Hawaiians love him. And I think that's that's part of being a, that's part of surfing is being a a personality being liked everywhere and trap being able to travel rather than a Medina who goes everywhere with his entourage with his you know his stepdad Charlie and the big tough guys backing him everywhere I mean it's just lame man what happened to like you know you know um, rabbit bar following you getting his licks on the north shore and almost getting beaten to death you know because he wasn't playing the game you know that kind of like those guys had to really work a lot harder and you know Mark Richards for example, one of my heroes, you know, he's so u- universally popular within the surfing world, you know, he traveled everywhere, he shaped his own boards, you know, I've said this so many times, when you think Mark Richards, still shaping boards to this day, four-time world champion, one of the most successful surfers of all time, shapes his own boards, sprays his own boards on his front drive in Newcastle, Australia, you ask me, is Gabriel Medina even capable? Would he ever do that? No, he's a prima donna. He's never going to do that. He's never going to graft. He, he has not got that kind of like that all in. He's not a real surfer. Mr. is a real surfer. Medina we, we is one hundred percent an athlete. Logan's like, hold me I back, don't, guys. I don't like him. Mate, I haven't met you, the guy, but I don't like anything that he represents. Mr. <laughs> is a real dude. He's an. He's Any, not an athlete. But is okay. Because Americans and Australians don't mind him. He's, he's allowed he's, a world title. He's the biggest jock, mate. You just take one look at his Instagram. I think, like, the week after he won his world title, he posted one, like, covered in sweat, pumping iron in his, like, mansion in Brazil. If that's not a jock, I don't know what it is. You just like him more. And that's not... an nah. MR is a jock. You want to see that... It, uh, there was a cast where he was texting this guy who's in a QS. Like, war... You know, was, they were jocks. Jock. Come on, the MR Rabbit. Which one of them was it that wrote "We're Tops Now"? That article. <laughs> you know the the, well, the, the was, moment where they said, it you know, it's Rabbit, time for. The... It was the one. I mean, Rabbit was. You know, he was on. Phil Edwards uh, and your style. Get out of the way. Trouble. It's all about Ian Cairns. Well, Ian Cairns was a. Re- he was probably one of the original jocks because that guy was a big bugger as well. And he was one of the. You know, he was obviously kind of one of the the forefathers of professional surfing. Really, you know, he he pretty much. Him, him and Pete Townsend kind of invented it really. So it's their fault, not but Slater's. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably not, but I think the way surfing was, it was very, you know, it was all about surfing, great waves and traveling the world, and then all of a sudden we're in a, a ranch in 
Central California, and it's all a bit weird. And uh, I just think the the wave pool thing it was it's a novelty, but if that's what we're doing, if that's the way we're going to make competitive surfing just to get into the Olympics, then I think that's uh, it's a sad day to be honest. Yeah, it's a very. I can sad jump day. in here. I've been digging around on my phone whilst Elliot was having his rant, and there's an article that I saved earlier, and it's to do with that. Well, my favourite surfer, uh, Dane Reynolds, and he famously. Um, was number two in the world and then he dropped off tour, kind of abandoned anything to do with competitive surfing. Everybody was, I was disappointed because I loved seeing him in those contests and I was always in his corner because, I, again, he was, for me, he was the um, the opposite of these jocks that were starting to make their way onto the tour at this time, in my opinion. And no one could really get their head around why he did it. And I listened to a, a really interesting interview with him and he said something along the lines of, when all said and done, when you're an old man sitting at home and you've, your surfing career's kind of ended and you're still going in for fun, hopefully, um, you may have a world title. And to him, it wasn't important. Certainly, I mean, we'd all love That's a world title. That's because he couldn't win one. Well, we'd all, <laughs> we'd all love a world title. But he said he'd never had the interest to win one. And he said, would I rather be sitting at home with a world title on my shelf and be thinking, yeah, I gave it my all and I was cutthroat and I beat this person there or beat that person there, or would I rather be the the person that's had a good time and is well liked for being a nice guy? And there's there's no right or wrong answer here. There's no there's no it's nothing, McFanning. Well, that? there's there's nothing to say that winning world titles and being cutthroat is bad. There's nothing to say that choosing to sit at, uh, to be a good guy and have fun. But can I just read you this before you carry on? This is from a Rolling Stone article with Dane Reynolds, and this is his take on contests. And it's, this kind of drills down to the the jockification of surfing, where it's win at all costs. You've got guys doing safe turns all the way to the beach to get a seven-point ride. I don't see the point of that. I prefer surfing as an art as opposed to a sport. It's such a rad thing that it's crazy to confine to a certain criteria. And it is. Think of the joy you get just from so taking off on a wave and going straight. This, the same Jane Reynolds who won the NS. AA in trestles. It is. And I've covered in stickers. Interesting is this the same Dane Reynolds who won the WQS? You don't win the WQS by refusing to grind out a seven Shane in Reynolds. onshore surfing. <laughs> I will concede. As, would as lose a, on a, purpose a on a purist, Saturday. I will concede something here, Tom. So what I will say is that it is very easy for Dane Reynolds to say that when he is <clears throat> from what I would say is a rather privileged part of the world. Um, he also has the luxury of being able to pursue a professional surfing career without having to do contests. I do acknowledge, um, and I will 100% acknowledge that there are um, those surfers that the only way they can make it is they haven't got the profile or the or, or the cool factor to be able to kind or of or the um, national economy. Will will there be a afford- Brazilian Dane Reynolds? Yeah, I mean, what I will say with the Brazilian thing, there, there is this. It's a, it's quite polarized over there. You know, there are um, a lot of, a lot of Brazilian surfers aren't from this kind of poor kind of background. I mean, like Italo Ferreira is, is well known to be someone who is, um, you know, and, and and I and I there are some guys, there are some Brazilian. There's a some Brazilian shortboarders actually um, that help. Silvana Lima as well, you know. Breeding bulldogs fail to afford to stay on tour. Some of the better off Brazilian surfers I know that I know 
they do fund. There's a long border from Brazil that is funded by a Brazilian short border, and um, you know, so that it is. There is. There's not all negatives, to, you know, and this isn't, a, and this is never meant to be anti-Brazilian. This is kind of, there's, this, there's, you know, a, a certain few that um, have kind of epitomised this kind of jockification that we're talking about. It, it's not, you know, l let me be clear. It's not anti-Brazilian. There's a lot of, literally, like you say, it's their only option, you know. Whereas Dane Reynolds, he's he's very fortunate. He's cool. He's Californian. He can make a living without ever even putting on a contest vest. Whereas you know, for a lot of surfers from other places, be it Australia or Brazil um, or Portugal or South Africa, those guys, the only way they're going to make a living is on tour. What, but what I will say is that the, the tour itself has changed. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the days where kind of um, there was that kind of flair and that charisma. Um, and also, some of the, you know, to lose, you know, world-class waves like trestles, um, in favor of a wave pool that you know that kind of stuff i think we've we've gone too far i think that's that's the crux of our argument really is that to lose one of the best waves in california um to a, a man-made wave where it looks like every wave looks the same i don't think that's cool have you got anything else to add on that logan because i've got one more thing to add before they before uh, you go ahead and if i <laughs> think about it i just want to say that what we were talking about, Dane Reynolds, and I can think of another surfer that's almost a carbon copy in terms of their sort of career story, and that's Rob Machado, right? And Elliot, you're right to point it out. You know, they come from a pretty privileged background. They're both Channel Island surfers. And I think when I look at those guys that I see competitive people, you know, there's a video of Rob Machado, I think it's Momentum 2, where he's playing football and kicking people over, you know, and he had a short haircut, you know, and he used to drill those scores when the tour was three to the beach and in small waves, as jock as they get. Loses the world title in 1995 in the dying seconds with the famous high five to Kelly Slater. And I reckon he's a broken person. And the, when I see Rob Machado, you know, the drifter and all this, and I see Dane Reynolds doing their own thing, they're not doing their own thing because they're like, liberated souls who are better than competition and you know they can go off and do what they want and they have all this spontaneity they're guys who are dealing with the fact that they lost a world title and weren't brave enough and bold enough to dust themselves off and go for it the following year compare that to kieran perro much further down the ranks loses the dying seconds of the pipe masters comes back the following year and wins it I would want to see Dane Reynolds and Ron Machado do oh, that. An and they can do it with Dane that thing. surfing. Dane Reynolds famously, as a youngster surfing in the NSA um, competitions, would lose on the Saturday so he could get home for Saturday nights because he didn't want to be at the contest. That's on record as happening. And if you look back, it's been like, I think it's on Surfer Mag, they found the actual contest where he clearly had done it. Dane Reynolds also, whilst I think he was in the top ten in the world, decided not to go uh, to the Portugal event, I think it was, because he wanted to go to Mexico with his friends, and he got fined $25,000 for the, for the privilege of doing that. Well, that was and the sure, beginning of the end. That was when he may was well losing be, too often and he was lacking in the commitment. may well be the case. I don't think you can define Dane Reynolds as a person that um, is broken because he didn't win a world title. I genuinely think he sees surfing as a, a bigger, <clears throat> bigger than a world title. It's big, more, it's so more why did he try? Things. Why did he try hard because enough to win the QS and defend second? And when he went off tour, he actually subsequently lost that contract with Quicksilver. Oh, can, can I add something? So 
I won't psychoanalyze anyone as you guys have done. But um, going back to Medina and like why the jockification of surfing is actually a good thing. Um, he set up that Medina Foundation. So he put like $5 million into this foundation. He's given back to loads of kids in his country. Um, Adriano D'Souza, another great example of someone who's like, yeah, a great jock. Um, who's meant to be like the nicest guy on tour. Um, and that Great all, to spot him turn on tour too. Yeah, that all, <laughs> that all came from them having to do what they had to do, be this jock figure, I guess. Um, and then they give back to their own community. So that's why it's a good thing. Because these kids um, coming up you know, from nowhere in Brazil and now getting this opportunity because those guys are jocks and they wouldn't have done so. I don't see a Dane Reynolds Foundation anywhere. So that's my argument. For, I I'm did, just defending Medina about, here. I, I just love Medina. Dane's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. He did a pretty good song. Yeah, actually, uh, I do. Him Jack. and his wife sell T-shirts and have been giving them to um, uh, women's charities for women that suffer from domestic violence. That's great. That is good. So, yeah, it comes from all sides. Yeah, charity and on both sides there. Uh, I've got an extra question for the jocks, actually. Um, so you're re I can see you're rejecting that emotive word jock as a US stereotype, but you are happy to see surfing as a mainstream athletic sport. I was wondering if either of you were profiled for the Olympics and you got tested in loads of different sports to see which one you would be most suited for, and it came out that it was not surfing, it was something else. Um, would you swap to that sport? In which case, <laughs> if you wouldn't swap to that sport, do you then think that surfing does have a distinct and unique culture that actually has got something more than just the mainstream athletic appeal? Um, I mean, that's, that's, like ex, you know, that's like rugby players who surf. Like there's um, that Navadi guy, he also surfs and plays rugby. Um, I don't think he'd just switch over. You know, he, he loves playing rugby, but he also loves surfing. So I'm surfing. I might not be most suited to surfing, but I love it. Um, not not that I wouldn't give javelin throwing mm, a go. Skeleton. Yeah, yeah but um, no, it, it wouldn't, doesn't mean I would switch surfing, but it also doesn't mean that there's a distinct culture. I just like doing it. And uh, it's not because of the culture of surfing. It's just because I It's not I, the I culture of surfing. For, for no. me. But you would stick with surfing, Definitely. even if they said you'd be better at something else. Uh, and you could win an Olympic gold. Oh, yeah, I'd switch then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, yeah. It, it'd be surf. <laughs> in a heartbeat. Because you look at, like, this is just off the top of my head, I think of, like, athletes, famous athletes from other sports who get to hang around with all the top surfers and go wherever they want, you know? Um, and Mark Philippoussis is the first one that comes to, her, to, to my mind. And, uh, you know, he's there on, the, you know, trips with Margot and Oki and stuff like this, you know? So, yeah, I'd go for it and I'd win Olympic gold and all that and then as soon as I was done with that sport I'd jack it in never throw another javelin again or whatever sport it was <laughs> hopefully it would be a more high profile sport and then uh, I'd go and be friends with all the world's top surfers and go on boat trips with them all and be like allowed in like the, to dine at surfing's top table for the rest of my days mm, interesting that you're both united on that don't think I need to ask the purist team that question uh, <laughs> does, it, does it mean that I wouldn't get to surf anymore well it wouldn't be your number one I I am a massive sports fan, mm. and I would happily become an Olympian in another sport. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, sure. I, but I don't think I'd. I think I'd probably rather be an Olympic swimmer or mm. cyclist or something than an Olympic surfer. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> surfing yeah. doesn't belong in the Olympics, guys. Mate, you've beaten me in a heat. <laughs> uh, you've, you've competed against me. I don't know what you're so anti-contest. I'm not anti-contest. 
I'm anti the jockification of surfing. Surfing, <laughs> oh. surfing contests have a world, have a place in surfing, not in wider sport. Hmm. Okay. I've, I've already actually, got a couple of Olympic I've goals, actually come as close, <laughs> well, probably closer than any of you to like actually kind of trying to, not necessarily like, I've done what I've probably done. I've spent more time doing other sports aside from surfing. Um, than any of you. Um, sure. And I don't really know, perhaps Tom <laughs> with his basketball. I know Tom oh, yeah, played I, a lot of basketball. I did win the, what was it, the South Wales Central Venues League. <laughs> that year amateur. the Cougars won the quadruple. <laughs> I, I, I was bench yeah. too much to get medals for any of the other three trophies. Bowling career. <laughs> but I think, I think for me it was kind of, you know, it was always a, 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 a health, what I saw as a healthy distraction from from the inability to surf, you know, I, I wasn't able to surf as much at the time. And I just, and I did have this kind of desire to kind of prove myself, prove myself beyond surfing. Um, because surfing kind of the, the trying to, as, as, for me, I couldn't really reconcile. So, and I still can't now, even though I still, you know, I did a WSL event this year and I, I can't, I still can't reconcile something like surfing, especially longboarding. I can't reconcile it with, the competitive side you know it's to me it's like i've you know mickey uh, mickey munoz was famously said um there's no such thing as a bad wave just the portraits of equipment and a lousy attitude that's, oh that's, you got it word perfect Elliot. it's my favorite quote of all time to me it's my favorite quote and it kind of and it's the reason i longboard and it's the reason i ride a variety of equipment and it's always been there in my head since i started surfing at the age of eight years old um and I just think to myself, do you know what? Like, once you start getting bogged down in equipment and people, and and what what really annoys me is not so much the that my frustration with the jockification of surfing is not so much the the, the high end. It does annoy me. I see Medina and um, you know, and and, and I sorry to keep going back to him, but he's he last <laughs> season he kind of proved himself to be the the ultimate you know in it to win it kind of dude. Um, what really frustrates me is that that kind of feeds down into the everyday surfer uh, and and you go for a surf at your local break and there's some guy who's on the latest you know timmy patterson the talo ferreira model or everyone's riding a paisel board you know oh well, why is that well because john john florence is riding it and it's like it's just so annoying because no one's everyone's trying to aspire to be you know if you're a runner say and you and you buy the mo farah trainers you're still going to run pretty well. They're not going to affect you. But all these idiots are riding these, literally these absolute toothpick boards. You know, John John Florence's Groveler is designed for four to six foot, you know, Iukai Beach Park, which is like the heaviest wave you've ever surfed. It's a really heavy beach break that would like probably be heavier than any beach break in the, in the whole of the UK. His, that's what his Groveler's for. So you've got all these guys riding... You know, the Paisal Groveler at Rest Bay when it's half a foot and onshore, having a really awful time and getting really angry because they're not shredding. And that's, that's what me. happened in this situation. There's You've just got five angry Paisals, surfers everywhere. Yeah. Just too many angry surfers. Everyone just needs to cheer up a bit. And this is my frustration with it. This kind of seriousness, this competitiveness, it's, it's feeding down into your average surfer who used to just be stoked to catch a couple of waves and hang out and 
drink a beer after in the pub with his mates, you know, they're all just there taking it way too seriously. Zero percent beer for me. Yeah, just <laughs> I, 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 I have well, other than tonight, I have been on the zeros, Tom. So I'm gonna be on that <laughs> it's that sea bass that tasted so good. Thanks, Elliot. Oh, so good, mate. Um, and Jocks, do you think that losing trestles for a wave pool was okay? Um, I think losing trestles was like big loss. Um, for a wave pool, I think um, I don't think that event. I don't think they packaged that wave pool event correctly. I think it could have been packaged so much better um, because I've, the Bristol wave pool was awesome. It's like so fun, and if you go there and say you haven't had fun, then I don't know what you're doing. Um, because, and I'm pretty sure if you rode one of those waves at Kelly Slater's, you wouldn't be complaining that it was rubbish and, and boring. Um, but losing trestles, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's silly. Good point for the purists. 100% the right thing to do. And we haven't talked enough tonight about women surfing. And we'll have to just record a whole episode where you and me and Elliot will talk well, about Stephanie Gilmore surfing, well, right? I was going to say, when we recorded the Scope episode last week, Tom, um, I don't know, I think it came up off air, but someone asked me who my favourite surfer was. And you was. said Steph Gilmore. Steph Gilmore and Dane Reynolds. I agree. Second well, that. Favourite surfer in the world at the moment, Steph step. Gilmore. Yeah. Jock, though. Jock. Look at all those oh, titles. Look at the... No. Oh, right. Anyway, well... But what I wanted to say, if we haven't talked about women surfing enough, right? 100% the right decision. I get the final say on that because I'm the woman here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Steph Gilmore is not a jock. Okay. <laughs> more oh, no, we've right. annoyed the judge. <laughs> so, trestles... Definitely not with those long period south swells does not produce enough set waves to run a men's and women's contest in one waiting period without really, really slow heats and restarts. And that's why they cut it. So it was either only have the men or the women go to trestles or have none of them go to trestles. And I'm 100% that like the women need to be at Chopu, they need to be at J-Bay, they need to be at G-Land. And if the men are going to trestles, so should the women go. Trestles is a beautiful wave. It's a wonderful place to film and edit, but it has big time lulls and you, you can't get enough surfers. You can't run the heat. You off. also can't have those Medina dropping in on Kaio belly moments without a live beach, like, you know, being yeah. in nature and paddle battles. The part of that jock thing comes from them being in the ocean. Um, but also you see athleticism in the wave pool, like, Medina in that event is just like ridiculous. So. Oh, that, I see both sides. I see oh, both that sides. wave. Yeah, he's the highest score he got. <laughs> it's the best anyone has ever ridden a wave. Yeah, never. Really good. I said that twice. <laughs> okay, well, now while the judge retires to consider a verdict, we have a bit of bonus material for our listeners to consider. If this was X Factor, then now would be the bit when Rihanna were to play a set before the final results are in. <laughs> but this isn't, and Rihanna is in negotiations for appearing in a future Crest episode, and we didn't want her to get too full of herself. So instead, Tom and Logan called up one of Britain's top QS surfers, Luke Dillon, for his thoughts on the matter. They did make a cheeky application to have this recording submitted as evidence in support of their case, but it's got to go on what happens on the night. Nevertheless, for our listeners, here's what Luke had to say on the questions our teams have dealt with tonight. Logan Nickel here, joined with Tom Anderson and uh, one of the boys, Luke Dillon, um, down in Newquay. Thanks for joining us, Luke. No so, problem, Logan. So we are um, on the topic of the jockification of surfing and whether it's a good thing for surfing or if it's a, a negative. And we're just hoping to get a bit of your insight on, uh, on that topic. 
So, um, if you don't mind jumping straight in, one of the first questions I got for you should be quite an easy one. Um, is would you consider surfing a sport? Absolutely. Um, you shot. have your yeah shot. You have your you have your pro guys that do it for like competition living, and then you have your guys who sort of can do like the freestyle amateur, well not amateur, but um, non-competitive side of it. So it's kind of like you can choose what you want to do, and you know people pick that sort of side as they're growing up or they choose to compete in it or not or whatever is just kind of like whatever they're into so there's two sides of it in my in my view and it's whatever anyone chooses to do yeah so luke are there any athletes that you think that you can think of off the top of your head who maybe epitomize the jock culture or do the opposite and maybe a, a bit too cool for school and uh don't like that that aspect of it yeah i met i met this one kid when I was younger who was a similar sort of age to me he was like a hundred times better than me in Australia like way out of my talent league um and now he's sort of like that filmed hipster legend kind of guy he's called Noah Dean and I'm gonna get thrown <laughs> under the bus for that um and and then the other one is like complete other side of the show is like Gay Medina, who is just like absolute freak, but can pile it in on 20, 25, 30 minutes, whatever it is. Um, he can do that all under the time pressure, whereas, you know, someone else just kind of just um, can do it all under a free surf. And I'm not biting on either side of it because I'd love to be able to just go free surfing and do what those guys do and pull the tricks that they can do anyway. However, doing it, you're not going to get into my mind about if you can do it under 30 minutes that you're not as you know, not as good as the guys who can do it under free surf conditions and stuff like that. So you, you mentioned Medina. It's quite controversial. Um, would you say he's good for the sport? Because there's a lot of people who think opposite, you know. They think him, he's so athletic. He's such a, you know, he's got that instinct in him. Um, some people don't don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, 100%. But then are you going to tell me that Usain Bolt's not as good as the athletics just because he's like, if I, like, actually blew everybody out of the water for the last year Olympics? But then just because you told me that he ate chicken nuggets before one of his 100 metres that he's not as good as someone else. It's just like yeah, Medina, yeah. Medina flew it out there for so long and he was like far and away the best sort of like, you can call him like the junior side of what came in. And then obviously now you've got like Toledo and Natalo. Um, but he was like far and away the better junior surfer. He's not as good because he's almost, I think people hate him because he's just so good that for yeah. like a couple of years, he like blew everybody out of the water. Um, but now you've got like John John Italo Felipe. There's not going to be the conversation that Gabriel was like. He was that twat. Show what I mean. Like he was so good when when there was that gap of not like the um, senior surfer doing so well. He was the easy the one to jump on and be like the I don't like that guy kind of bandwagon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now there's such a fresh plane. Yeah, it was like, it was the easy one to go like I don't like Medina because he's you know whatever and everyone can make that reason. Whereas now you've got like your Italo, your John John. Yeah, Felipe, whatever, you can sort of pick your surfer. But I think Medina was so good so young that it was easy for someone to either hate or dislike. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I'd probably say within surfing, um, Gabby is like, he's the epitome of a jock. You know, trains, yeah. doesn't care what people yeah. think. So would you say then that the jockification of surfing is a good thing? Depends what you mean. Um, the more like the approach of like professional versus amateur side, I'm wholly in the professional side of it because you have like the division between, you know, your competitive machine like Medina, or you can go like sort of the Noah Dean side of 
you compete for like your free surf clips, like your videos, photos, and stuff you put out on social media. But shockification is as far as someone like Medina concerned, not really. I mean, if you're going to argue about like Medina and how what he's done for like professional surfing, as opposed to like maybe I don't know, Ride Craig, maybe he was like sick when he's younger, and then he's sort of like just gone off the rails, and you don't really like you don't really hear too much of him. Um, I don't know. I'm going. I'm going like Gabby's side all day. Do you think surfing has a distinct culture compared to other sports, like think of running or or whatever, um, that we should try and preserve, or should we just move with the times and um, change it up? Um, no, I do. I do. I think like surfing has, you know, been a release for people to escape like daily lives and work and commitments and stuff like that. It's like then go and do their own sort of thing and be by themselves and, and it does kind of have that sort of like raw edge kind of like skating and things do as well where it's kind of like against the grain um you know it's not like a, a black and white kind of culture um but at the same time i think that you are living in the past if you think that it's not going to evolve and and be this sort of like new sport that the new public are going to love and want to get involved in because it's not like i don't know say something like golf which has always been sort of like white collar, you know, you've grown up with money, sort of stuff like that, surfing, you can kind of, although it's kind of expensive, you can go down the beach with like a 50 pound surfboard and a 20 quid wetsuit and you can go in and go and do it and, and it's up to your own feelings whether you love it or not. Um, it's kind of a bit of both, but I feel like if you're kind of like all sort of like anti, anti-government, anti-sort of like, I don't know, government, whatever it is with surfing, you're not going to go very far with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, thank you very much for coming on, Crest. We do really appreciate it. Um, and I can assure you that we've absolutely got your back with uh, all our, our full arsenal if uh, Noah Dean or Ry Craig or any of these guys uh, come after you because uh, you're our definition of, uh, of what surf- the future of surfing is. I just want to ask you a little bit about Medina because, uh, you know, you were, you were talking about him then and uh, you've been doing well on the QS and you've been to, you had a couple of good results last year. And for one of those contests, the one in Crewe, Medina was in the contest. So you got to see him free surfing, prepping for a contest. You got to see real upfront what it's like to actually be in the same event as Medina. What what was it like to to see him, you know, warming up for the same event that you're in? What was most interesting for me is when I watched him, he kind of went for a free surf before his heat, same as like you see the other 99% of the gear I was going for. And then he kind of like came in, like got his headphones, listened to music, exactly the same as what all the other boys do. And it was like interesting to see that sort of like when you watch him with the CTs and it's all sort of like a real closed environment about what he's doing with like camera work and stuff. He was so, you know, just like in the moment, just looking at the waves, like it wasn't anything that you see any other athletes doing differently. Um, and then he sort of just like took his headphones off, like real cool, real normal vibe, just like shaking hands with his like little entourage and group around him. And then he just went out and did his thing. It wasn't just like super focused, like concrete, just, you know, just like one tunnel vision kind of thing and then obviously he just went out and did his thing it was just like it was interesting to see that his approach is so normal as other people um obviously i imagine if it's like ct with tv camera crews and stuff like that it's probably a little bit more like a closed circle obviously being in indo and it's kind of like there wasn't a massive crowd around it's kind of like just a little athletes area it's a kind of a sort of little village wave, isn't it? You know, there's sort of there's one small hotel at yeah. the end of the point, and uh, and I was quite surprised to see that Medina had signed up and was in the draw for that one. Well, I know it was a very late call, sort of like a few days prior, and I I think a couple of the like the real top seeds had dropped out. He was obviously over in Indo for Bali for the yeah for the that was a week later, wasn't it? 
I think the chart was flat there and he'd seen the QS and just thought, do you know what, I might as well just go and just, it was obviously mm. on like a pump and perfect left, a good chart and stuff. And he was like, oh, I might come over and surf. And then obviously he competed and got to the quarters and had Mitch yes. Colborne and then they had it yeah, out who, then. But... I think Mitch Colborne won the event actually, didn't he? After putting Medina out, yeah. I think. Uh, actually, no. I think he got second and um, Lucas Silvera won it. But Mitch uh, yes, out in right. quarters. Yeah. It was a big, like, goofy v golf. Uh, goofy court final it was clip to watch to be fair and also I was just there just cruising yeah enjoyed watching in that event your your big backhand attack and uh, I saw Jonathan Gonzalez who like he's he's my age and he was he got through a good couple of rounds as well in it it's uh, Medina not getting a result I thought was quite interesting because that's quite an unusual wave isn't it that left at, at Crewe. Um and uh, it was interesting to, to mm-hmm. watch how, what Medina was going to do there because um, it's not that easy a wave to sort of tag the lip on, but you seem to have a pretty good approach going. I'd never been there before, and I just knew it was a left-hand point in Indo, which is obviously why when the uh, the event came up, I just signed up on to it straight away. Obviously, getting the chance of surfing boardies and stuff was just like my main priority. And then when Medina went, obviously, like WSL picked up on it, it was huge, like videos and photos and stuff going everywhere. Um, and for me, on my backhand, it's just sort of like a very... Um, traditional methodical sort of like up down just like throw as much throw as you sort of can and for him it was just a playground like it was just airs and you know whatever you see and do on the videos that's what he was doing over there um yeah. but the first day we rocked up it was as we got told by logo was pretty much as good as it would get it was like fiji you know like eight foot square bows like top to bottom um and then for me even just going and surfing that was like incredible and then watching him out there when it turned into that sort of more like fun little left-hand point it was like Amazing, what you're yeah. watching the video did, did yeah. you have a little look at uh way jambu a little bit further up the road at any point uh no i stuck to a couple of like local spots and then we went to a couple of secret spots typical window you know like your big blue barrels just sort of like stuff that you want to go and surf on your jeans kind of thing and we've learned at the time of this interview um that the qs and ct for 2020 have now both been completely cancelled for the rest of the year. Uh, how does that affect your plans for the coming year? And what are your thoughts on that news? Um, obviously, yeah, I just found out a little bit before. So I've already sent a couple of emails to some guys in Europe, just sort of some like FAQs and um, what's going to happen with the ranking system. I didn't have a, a great start to 2020, which people can go and see on the website, which wasn't great. But I had a really good 2019, some sort of, in between what they're doing with the rankings of 2021 but um i'm looking forward to it and i need to get on that challenger series uh schedule which is obviously the top i think they said top 30 of the qs so i'm guessing it's like top 90 in the world um i need to get on that and then obviously then it's your pathway to the c2 so just need to find out how they're doing the seeding list of 2021 and obviously i'm not competing for the rest of 2020 which is a bit difficult um but just means i get to stay home a little bit longer and obviously do a few surf traps when um, travel permissions get lifted in a few countries and it's all about staying fit, staying healthy and staying motivated to go on to 2021. Otherwise, um, it's, uh, it's a career outside the uh, surfing industry. <laughs> hey, Luke, we wish you absolutely all the best of that. You're, you're doing a great job. And uh, thanks, Logan, for, for getting older Luke for us. No now, of worries. course, we're hoping that you're going to bring home the bacon, Luke, for the big result that matters this year, and that is that you've helped Team Jock win the Crest Episode <laughs> 15 debate. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for everything. 
no, worries. If you if you guys are having a um, a panel v panel debate, then you've got to get me involved. I'm missing a bit of competition this year, you know. So if you're going to have one of those sort of like four v four debates or three v threes, I'm in. I'm your guy. Luke Dillon there and Logan Nichols audition tape to join the Ronnie Blakeys and Rosie Hodges of this world in the WSL booth. Hang on. Like that's in there, surely. Yeah. Well, until such opportunity knocks, you're here for the benefit of Crest and Welsh surfing. Either Rob or Elliot want to comment on that interview before we move on? Yeah, it was it was interesting hearing Luke and it, he, you know what he said? Pretty much what I expected him to say. He did raise a few really interesting points but the gist of it was that jockification is a good is a good thing in his opinion which is inevitable i suppose okay and this brings us to the results so boxing scores or just a point per round well i reckon elliot should decide that because he was the one who kept us honest with the judging scales during the surf trip nightmares episode i think we'll keep it simple i think just go for a you know a point per round okay so, I'm glad with that with the maths. That helps. Thanks, Elliot. <laughs> I was wondering how you did <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Should do my times tables there. Okay, so um, as round one, surfers as athletes, I'm going to give that to the jocks. Yes. One point to you guys. Um, oh, yes. I think the purists conceded that, um, you know, surfers can be athletic and um, they just argued it wasn't relevant to jocks. So, yeah, jocks, that's, that's for you. Uh, round two, the distinct culture. Um, gonna give that to the purists. Um, I was swung by um, by what Rob didn't say actually by talking about nuance and um, and I'm and the difference with surfing in that it's a lifestyle and a competitive sport. So I think they they um, swung that argument in their favour there. And the hardest one, really, was the last question, the jockification, good or bad thing. Um, I think both both sides made very compelling arguments. Um, I just had to make my decision based on what was good for the majority of surfers um, in the community. Um, so is jockification a good or bad thing for the majority of surfers? And I think... From the arguments that you gave tonight, it's not a good thing for the majority of surfers. I think jockification is good for fans of surfing and good for competitive standards. But with all the arguments taken into into account, I think the majority of everyday we'll surfers, the jockification is not really a good thing for them. So I'm going to hand it to the purists. That's that's cool, but you know we don't we don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, Rob. Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Bruce. I'll get my dad to storm the judges' uh, tower now. Sorry, Logan. No, I'm going to do what a long time ago. So you could just say it was a tribute. <laughs> I'm going to do what I Dane like Reynolds this. and Rob Machado couldn't do, and I'm going to dust myself off and train harder and come back and win <laughs> next year. The, the lines are still blurred, though. We're, we're still confusing competition with. Jockification, because, and I've got a really interesting point to make here about Jeremy Flores, someone who has stormed the judges' tower and trains really hard and could, I suppose, be perceived as being a jock. I saw an interview with him on Beach Grit um, the other day, and he was uh, lamenting the current state of the tour, and he said, "There's no, there's very few fun people left on tour." He said, "There's very few people that will go for a drink with you after a contest, and of the people that will go for a drink with you, 
he wouldn't go for a drink with half of them because they're so boring. And that's the state of modern professional surfing. Mm. Bring back Taj Bar. No, to say anything. Sex addict. I'd go for a drink that's with Thanks to our panel then and to you, the listener, for tuning in on your drive while gardening, running, sleeping even. Thanks either way. We'll return for another debate episode in future after going back to a few more of the staple interview series as you know it. If you've any further thoughts or ideas for us, please email castcrest at gmail.com. Or alternatively, you can interact with us on Instagram, on YouTube, or by rating us with five stars, we hope, on Apple Podcasts. And we're also available on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Royal Amateur, and congratulations, Team Purists. Johan Grando. Producer Dodge here again, guys. Looking ahead on Crest, Tom and Rob have arranged to have a chat with another double European longboard champ who has now turned his hand to filmmaking. Sam Bleakley's travel series, Brilliant Corners, has been taken up by WSL Studios, and Sam will be telling us about some of the fantastic trips he took as part of the project. Keep an eye out next Monday morning as usual.